I wanted to clear something up. Some of you, when you came up this morning, you may have seen about half a dozen of us gathered around a tree outside with our arms in the air hollering out. We were not praising the tree. <laughs> I, people were going around thinking, they probably thinking, we're not going to that church because they're out there worshiping the tree. We were trying to get a cat down. So we, we, uh, we're here to worship Jesus today. So I wanted to clarify that. The cat did make it down out of the tree, praise the Lord. And so Mr. Ernest led the cat rescue team and we got the cat saved. So I wanted to clarify that. We are uh, Revelation chapter 19 again this morning. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. I think that's right. I had to look and see. Last week, uh, we, we began to get into some of, the, some of the better stuff. We were getting close to the end of the book of Revelation, and we had gone through some difficult wrath and judgment, and now we saw last week that God's reign is beginning, and we are seeing that uh, played out even more so in the verses this week. Last week we looked at the first half of chapter 19, and we saw that Jesus was coming back, and Jesus is the groom, and that those who have accepted Jesus Christ are his bride, and that Jesus was coming back and is coming back for those of us who are his, for those who are his bride, and what a glorious day that is going to be. We talked about uh, our, our weddings that we see here in this world and how big of a feast they are and how big, big of a thing they are, and that's a good, a good illustration just to got, give us a little glimpse as to what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ returns. And in the text we looked at last week, John said, uh, fortunate are those who uh, get to attend the marriage feast of the Lamb. Those are fortunate people, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, because it is going to be a wedding and a celebration and a feast that is going to be second to none that has ever been. And so that's where we left off last week, and we are continuing on, kind of changing pace just a little bit here in verse 11 this week. We'll read through the text, and then we will uh, dig in. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes were like the fiery flame, excuse me, his eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing on the sun, and he cried out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying high overhead, Come gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with him the false prophet, 
who hath performed the signs in his presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Let's pray. God, we come to you today and we have uh, kind of a good news, bad news thing in your word today, dear Lord. We see uh, much hope and much excitement and much joy for those who have uh, chosen Jesus Christ, dear Lord. But we see much destruction and much pain and much, much agony for those who have uh, chosen to be deceived by the beast, dear Lord. And so I pray, God, that as we hear your word today, that your Holy Spirit would point us in the direction of Jesus Christ. God, that when the Holy Spirit speaks to maybe one in this room that does not know Jesus today, that they would follow through with that commitment, that they would accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, help us to examine our hearts to make sure that we know that we are going to be on the winning side, dear Lord. Help us to look forward to that day with excitement when Jesus' second coming will take place. And help us to be ready for that day, dear Lord, knowing that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus will be victorious. So I pray that you'd be with me this morning, dear Lord, as I preach your word. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, God. I pray that you would humble me. I pray that you would be the one that speaks today. I pray that you would open the ears of each and every one of us in this room, God, that we would hear from you, that we would hear your word, and that you would transform our hearts, God. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. When we begin in verse 11, we are introduced with some language that is very similar to language that we are introduced to in Revelation chapter 6. You can turn there with me if you like. You don't have to. But if you want to, you can. And what we see is some similar language. Revelation chapter 6 says this, Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come, I looked, and there was a white horse. The horseman on it had a bow, a crown was given to him, and he went out as a victor to conquer. So here we have another reference to a rider on the white horse. And so it's very similar to what we saw before, but I believe that these are two different and distinct riders. Now we talked a little bit in Revelation chapter 6 that there are some who believe that this first rider is Jesus Christ. That could be the case. It's a tough book. There are many different views. But I believe just based on the wording that we see from this rider on the white horse in chapter 19 and the first rider we saw in chapter 6, that these are two different people. The rider in chapter 19 appears to be one who is in complete control. Here in chapter 6, we see that there was a rider on the white horse the horseman on it had a bow. We see the rider on the white horse in 19 had a sword. We see that the rider in chapter 6 had a crown that was given to him. So it's not a crown who was earned, but it was a crown that was given to him. And a little further, and he went out as a victor to conquer. So he appeared as though he was a victor who was going to go out and conquer, but he did not. Now I believe, based on 
the differences between the writer in chapter 19 and chapter 6, as I mentioned when we were in chapter 6, I believe that this rider on the white horse is the Antichrist, the one that we have talked about in great detail over the last few chapters. That was one uh, that came onto the scene. He had the appearance that he was going to be the one who was going to lead people to freedom. He had the appearance that he was going to be the one who was all-powerful, that he was going to be the victor, and he deceived many people. It appeared as though he had all power. That would be uh, symbolized with this crown that was given to him. He was allowed to have some power for a period of time. But what we see with the writer in chapter 19 is that this is a different, different type of person here that we see. The writer in chapter 19 was on a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. Let's read a little further. And he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. Now this writer in chapter 19 is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Who other is faithful and true? There is no one. We see his uh, fiery flaming eyes. We see that symbolism used earlier on in the book of Revelation. That likely uh, represents judgment. That Jesus is coming to finally bring judgment on the world that has refused to accept him and as we've stated on many occasions, every opportunity had been given for people to repent and they had refused to. And here comes Jesus as God's reign is about to take place, as Jesus' reign is about to take place. Here we have Jesus Christ himself coming in the second coming. Now, we've talked a lot about the rapture. When is it going to be? Well, the rapture simply means there's going to be a time at some point when God's children are going to be taken to heaven. We've hashed it out that there are many views on when that could possibly be. But those are two different events in Scripture. I believe that we see that in the text, and that is there will be a time when God's children will be taken up to be with the Lord, but that is different from the second coming of Jesus Christ. I think the time of rapture will be before this point, but this is the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is when Jesus Christ is coming back to this old world. He is going to set everything straight. He is going to bring justice when he comes. And as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, that he is going to set up his reign here on earth for a short period of time. And so this that we're looking at in chapter 19 is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he is coming on a white horse. That is symbolic of a victor. It is the, the commander, the leader, the one who is victorious. The king is the one who would ride the white horse. And Jesus is riding the white horse. Why? Because he is victorious. He is the king of kings, lord of lords. That's what the text tells us here. The, the, we're not left to imagine. As we read through this first portion of the text here, it is quite clear who this one on the horse is, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, let's not forget while we're talking about Jesus on the horse that what we have seen in Jesus' life, we've seen two different and distinct events. The first time that Jesus came, when he came into Jerusalem right before he was crucified, he came into town riding on a donkey, the lowliest of creatures. Because when Jesus came the first time, he came humbly. He came to bring grace, and he came riding on a humble creature. But when Jesus returns the second time, he is coming to bring justice. There is going to be no more mercy. There is going to be no more grace. He is not coming in as a humble servant. He is coming in as a victorious king. And that is what we see 
in Revelation chapter 19. And that should make us excited, Christian. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what a glorious day that is going to be. Because the devil has done his best that he can do. We have watched for chapter after chapter after chapter. And the devil, the Antichrist, has deceived many nations. The, the Antichrist has convinced all the nations, or most of the nations, to give him his power. They have all come together. The Antichrist appears to be an all-powerful, unstoppable force, except for Jesus. See, the devil thought he was all good. He had got everything together, and that's what we see here. Let's read on a little further. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. Perhaps that reminds us of the many crowns that we saw on the beast a few chapters ago. While the beast had the appearance, though it wore many crowns, it had the appearance of power, we see right here who really has the power. And while the Antichrist crown was given to him for a little while, and he was allowed to have some power for a little while, we see that all power resides in Jesus Christ here. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. I'm not even going to guess what that means because it says no one knows except for Jesus. So it'd be silly for me to even guess what that name would be. So I, I can't do much help. I don't, I don't really know what to tell you guys on that, on that verse there. Let's read a little further. Verse 13. He wore a robe stained with blood and his name is the word of God. So here we have this rider on the white horse who is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And he's wearing a robe that is stained with blood. Now there are a couple of different interpretations as to what that robe stained with blood could, could mean. One interpretation that's pretty popular is it could be uh, signifying and symbolic of the blood that is about to be shed when Jesus comes to rain his judgment on those who have refused to repent and accept him as Lord and Savior. That could be the case. But I hold the view that that blood is representative of the blood that Jesus Christ shed on our behalf. I believe that Jesus Christ's blood-stained robe here is representative that he gave all that he had for us so that he could be victorious over sin and the devil and so that he could also share in that victory with him. That we could share in that victory that Jesus Christ had. Let's read a little further. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. Now again, there's multiple interpretations as to who this army could be. One, it could be an army of angels, or it could be an army of Christians, those who have accepted Jesus Christ, or it could be a mixture of both. Now based on what we have seen up until this point in the book of Revelation, I believe that this army that is with Jesus are Christians. Because they are dressed in pure white linen. And Jesus tells the people, uh, or us, I should say, as we read through the book of Revelation or anybody else that has, those who have put their faith and trust in him, and when the day comes that he comes back, they will be given a pure white robe to wear. We see that addressed in the church of Sardis. And Jesus is saying, look, don't stain your garments, but keep your garments clean. We see that uh, uh, 
multiple times in the book of Revelation. And white is a symbol of purity. So here is Jesus who is wearing a robe that is stained with red to signify the blood that he shed on our behalf so that he could have the victory and we could share in that victory so that we could be clothed in pure white linen. Boy, that is pretty exciting. Just in my mind as I read those words and I think about the sky being rolled apart and here comes Jesus Christ himself victorious on a white horse and there are countless thousands upon thousands probably millions upon millions who have put their trust in him and they are all victorious and the wait is over boy that's going to be a pretty awesome and amazing day I can only imagine the excitement that there is going to be now, we get excited about stuff on this world that's not even nowhere on that scale. I don't know if any of you guys watched the NBA or not, but a few weeks ago, LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers won the title for Cleveland first time in 52 years. And that was a pretty exciting time. They were having parades, and everybody just hooting and hollering for LeBron James because, let's be honest, if you watch basketball, if it wouldn't have been for him, they wouldn't have made it. He was the one that led them to the victory, and they were having parades, and there were thousands upon thousands of people. Uh, one estimate said that they thought that there were close to a million people who had come to celebrate and follow this parade and be part of this parade as the victors, the Cleveland Cavaliers, came to celebrate a victory that the city had waited on for 52 years. How much more so should we be excited when our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who we have been reading about in God's Word and knowing that that time is coming, how much more excited will we be as that group who is following our King of Kings, who is following the one that brings us the victory as justice is about to be served? That makes me excited. I guess I'm kind of silly. But that makes me excited to think about what a glorious and wonderful day that's going to be. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. Now, we talked a lot about the book of Revelation being symbolic. It could be that when Jesus returns that there will be a literal sword coming from his mouth. But... With the book of Revelation being symbolic, the sword from Jesus' mouth is probably representative of God's Word. That is that God's Word will be what will judge the people. And that when Jesus speaks, it will be like a sword as He speaks God's Word and it brings judgment on the people because God's Word gives us everything that we need to know about accepting Jesus Christ. It points out every sin, it points out all of God's grace, and it points us in the right direction. And when that day comes that Jesus Christ returns, it is God's word that is going to bring the judgment on the people who have refused to accept Jesus Christ. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I have read those words many times in my life. But every single time I read them, there is a certain sense of awe and excitement that comes to my mind, to my heart when I read those words. Because there is coming a day that the one who gave his life for us is coming back. And he is our King of kings and our Lord of lords. And there are many people 
who will deny Jesus Christ. They will deny that He exists. They will deny that He is the Son of God. They will refuse to put their faith and their trust in Him. But there is coming a day when every single one of us, whether in this room or anywhere in the world, is going to bow down. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. I would encourage you to do that now while you have the opportunity to make the choice for yourself. Because when the time comes that Jesus comes back, then everybody's going to realize, oh snap, He is real. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. If I would have only knew, but see what happened was, and this and that, and there will be a million, and there will be a trillion excuses that will come during that day. But it will be too late, because when we see Jesus coming through the clouds, the victory has already taken place. Jesus Christ has already won. Sin has already been defeated. And if you haven't put your faith and trust in Him by that point in time, it will be too late. Listen. It will be too late. You can't make a deal with God. I hear people say that sometimes. As crazy as that sounds, some people say, oh, I'll make a deal with God. You don't have anything that you can give God to deal with Him. I hate to break it to you. No, I don't hate to break it to you. I'm glad to break it to you. But there are some people that think that. Maybe there are some in this room that think you're going to be able to sweet talk God. What can you offer God that God does not already have? What we need not be thinking about is what we can offer God to make a deal with Him, but what we need to focus on is what God has offered us in Jesus Christ. The deal has already been made. There will be no more deals made. When Jesus died on the cross and resurrected, that was the deal. That was the deal. It don't get any better than that. But you have a choice to make as to which side you are going to choose. Because there are two sides. And as much as it's incorrect in our world today and people don't want to admit it, there are winners and there are losers. We live in a world today where everybody gets a participatory trophy. Everything's good. We all tried hard. Everybody wins. Well, that's all. Well, no, that ain't all well and good. I'm opposed to that. I won't get on the soapbox about that. But there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. God's not handing out any participatory trophies. When Jesus Christ comes back, God's not going to look at you and say, well, I know you didn't trust in Jesus, but you didn't go to church that much, you didn't have much of an opportunity, and you did a lot of good stuff, so I'm going to give you a pass. Come on in. God didn't get participatory trophies. There are going to be winners and there are going to be losers. And those who put their trust in Jesus Christ are going to be winners. We are going to be victorious. And those of you who are rejecting Jesus Christ saying, I want to live for myself, I don't believe all this hubbub, I can keep doing whatever I want to do, God's not going to care, an evil God wouldn't punish me, i got news for you, you're going to be on the losing team. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, you're a loser. But if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you are going to be victorious. You can either be part of the army that is coming with Jesus in victory, or you can be part of those who are about to receive the wrath and the judgment to come. Now, it should be obvious to us which side that we want to be on. 
Because what we see in the next few verses is we see all the kings and all the ones that the Antichrist has brought together and they all gather together to wage war against Jesus. And what does it say happens? There's a mighty battle and Jesus barely pulls ahead. We don't even see that a battle is mentioned. They get together, they bring all their forces together and wage war against Jesus. And the next verse says that the false prophet and the Antichrist are thrown into the lake of fire. There ain't even no battle. You know why? Because the battle has already been won on the cross. There's no more battle to be had. The only reason why God is postponing this, delaying this time for Jesus Christ to come back is because He wants everybody to experience His grace. He wants everybody to be on the winning side. He wants everybody to be on Team Jesus. God isn't delaying it because He don't have the power to say, alright Jesus, go on back there and get yours. God isn't delaying it because the devil is holding him back because the devil's so powerful and God and all his power can't beat the devil and come back and make it all finished. That's not the case at all. God has chosen to wait because the battle has already been won. But Jesus is delaying. God is delaying Jesus' return because he wants you to choose sides. He wants you to choose Jesus. But you have to do that. I can't do that for you. Boy, it'd be so great if preachers could just accept Jesus for all of their congregation. That would be a wonderful thing. We can't do it. But there's something more wonderful than a preacher bringing grace to you, and that's Jesus Christ bringing grace to you. Because while me and Brother Ernie and a million other preachers don't have that power, Jesus Christ does. And we have to choose sides, and we have to choose wisely. Because what we saw in last week's text and what we saw in this week's text are two distinctly different things. Last week we saw that those who were invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb were fortunate. But here we see a different feast in these verses today. While those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are having a wonderful feast in heaven... Those who have rejected Jesus Christ are being feasted on by the birds. That's a stark contrast from what God wants to offer and what the devil's going to end up giving. You see, the devil will promise you everything. He will promise you you can wait just a little more. You can do just a little more. You're doing okay on your own. You're good enough. You come to church. You've read your Bible a few times. You're good enough. God's not going to hold that against you. But the question you must answer is, have you accepted Jesus Christ? Have you acknowledged that you are a sinner? You may not want to, but you are. I am. We all are. We have to acknowledge that we're a sinner and we have to ask Jesus Christ to forgive us. And maybe you just got that today, praise the Lord. Maybe you have sit through hundreds of church services in your life and all of a sudden today the light has come on and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you realize, oh snap, I've chosen the wrong side. I haven't chosen Jesus Christ because that's the only side that's going to be victorious. Jesus Christ is the only one that we can choose that can spare us from the wrath that is to come. Jesus Christ is the only one who is going to be victorious in that day. And to those who have put their faith and trust in Him, you will be washed as white as snow. You will be given a white robe and you will ride on white horses with Jesus Christ when He returns. But you have to make that choice. 
You have to make that choice. Let's pray. God, we come to you today and we thank you for sending your son Jesus. And God, I pray that you would just convict any heart in this room, God, that you just would not give them rest till they accept Jesus today, that you would just give them that desire, that longing to know that something's missing and know that that something is Jesus. That something is not more stuff, more wealth, more popularity. That's something that can fill that void of emptiness in our life, dear Lord, is Jesus and none other. And God, help us to realize that that we can't be good enough, but that you sent your son Jesus because he was good enough. God, I pray that you would help us to choose wisely, dear Lord. Because each one of us in this room have that, has that choice to make. We have to choose, dear Lord, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ and we're going to be part of the marriage feast or if we're going to follow the devil and his deceptions and be part of those feasted on, dear Lord. That is strong language. That is scary stuff, God. But we thank you for giving us your word, for giving us the tough stuff because sometimes that's what we need to hear, dear Lord. And God, I pray that if there is one in this room today, that they would know that you have grace for them, that you love them, that you you sent Jesus to die so that you could be with them. And God, I don't want anyone to leave this room today without accepting it. God, you don't give us any hoops to jump through. All we have to do is accept Jesus. And so I pray, God, that if there is one in this place today, that they would acknowledge their sinfulness that they would lay down their sin before you and that they would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would ask him to forgive them of their sins, that they would ask Lord Jesus to come into their heart and cleanse them by his blood and make them as white as snow. So God, I pray that as we have these few moments of invitation, these few moments of response, that if, God, you have spoken to someone in this room, that they would respond to you today. And that, God, before we walk out of this door today, that everyone that walks out of that door would leave here having chosen Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.